unless you're living on a different planet, uh, you know about Duck Dynasty. <laughs> I've been watching that, man. I'll tell you, that's, those are my people. I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, and uh, on one of the episodes, they were going to create a redneck water park. And I was with a bunch of people, and we were watching. They laughed. I didn't laugh. I thought, but of course. These are the people I grew up with. These are the people I love. And this is my heritage. If you've, uh, if you've been paying attention, you know that Phil Robertson, the head of the Duck Clan, said some things that were pretty strong, maybe a little crass. That's the way we talk in North Carolina about homosexuality, and immediately the network, A&E, took him off the air. Now, between you and me, I'm a cynical old preacher. <laughs> I knew it was about self-righteousness. It wasn't about goodness or doing the right thing. It was about self-righteousness, but it was also about money. And just so you know, even though self-righteousness makes you feel really good, money always trumps it. So they've kissed and made up, and uh, people, the Duck Dynasty guys have said they've learned a lot, and Phil Robertson's been put back on the air, and they have joined hands, and they sing Kumbaya around the campfire and everything. Didn't surprise me, being cynical the way I am. Frankly, I was, I was tired of the subject. And I wanted to leave it. I just didn't want to talk about it anymore. But this week, it's haunted me. I can't shake it. And I decided there's a reason for it because there is a lesson to be learned in that whole incident. I don't know if I would have said it the way Phil Robertson said it. But what he said is what we believe as Christians. What he said was the truth. And people were angry and uptight because he said it. And I realized, looking at that whole incident and the time they removed him from the air and all the things that were said during that, that we've got a problem as Christians. Our culture, if you haven't noticed, has changed. It really has. You know, I can remember when clergy got discounts at the department stores in the city and our sermons were put in the newspapers and I could be a part of the country club without ever paying dues. Those days are long gone. We don't have money and we don't have leverage and we don't have prestige and we don't have power. Our culture has changed. And so... When we speak our truth, and it was a truth when it was spoken before, when everybody said, but of course, we stand with you. These convictions and these truths are at the very heart of what the world is all about. But that's not true anymore, if you haven't noticed. Calvin Miller, and you ought to get that sometime if you haven't read it. It's still in print. Calvin was a friend of mine. He wrote uh, three books that have become classics called The Singer, The Song, and The Finale. And they're all heart poems about the New Testament. 
Jesus is the singer, and he sings his song, and when he sings his song, people are healed and changed. And then world hater, that would be Satan himself. And world haters' followers, they turned against the singer. And then Calvin Miller has a wonderful statement in that first of the trilogy. He says, it's hard to keep on singing when the audience has turned its back. It's hard to keep on singing when the audience has turned its back. Robert Weber, the late Robert Weber, a tremendous scholar, especially of worship. But he wrote a book a number of years ago called Ancient and Future Faith. At the seminary, I teach a course called to doctoral students called Communicating to Postmoderns. And in that course, I talk about the cultural change that has taken place in our time. And I'm old as dirt, and I've seen it. It has really changed, and it has really changed fast. And the issue is, if you're a preacher, how do you preach in a culture like that? In other words, how do you speak your truth when nobody wants to hear how do you speak truth to power when you don't have any? How do you speak your truth when the people who hear it get very, very angry? Robert Weber said that as we move into this culture, some have called postmodernity, as we move into this culture, we're not moving into something that is new and different. We're reverting to the first century. And he says, because that's true, Christians have to look at the Bible and do it the way Jesus did it, who didn't have any power, who didn't have any prestige, who didn't have any leverage. You know, now that we've lost our political power, that's bad. No, that's probably good because now we got to do it the way Jesus did it. Now that we don't have any leverage and all of the politicians don't have to nod in our direction in order to get elected, that's terrible. No, that's good because God loves us so much. He won't let us go down the road of power and money. His power is made perfect in weakness. And it is in our weakness and our loss of power and leverage that we can then see God do something important. And so, and so following Robert Weber's advice, Let's go back to the first century in the fifth chapter of Acts where God was doing something really important with uneducated people who had no power or money or leverage. I'm going to start reading, if I can see what verse it is. I love a spotlight being shined on me. We know this is about me, but it's so dim I can't read the scripture. Now, you should know that I've memorized it all, but just in case, I would like to see it in this text. 
I'm going to begin at the 12th verse of the fifth chapter of Acts, and I'm not going to read the whole text. I'm going to tell you the story, and then I'm going to wrap it up at the end. This is what Luke writes. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Is that cool or what? Would you like to see that happen in Fort Lauderdale and in Florida and in our nation and around the world? It won't happen because we plan good. It won't happen because we've got the money. It won't happen because we're smart and good-looking. It won't happen because we're good and pure and wonderful. It'll happen when we're nobody. Let me read something to you that, uh, if, I, if I brought it with me, I've got it. From Henri Nouwen. <sighs> Henri Nouwen, you maybe don't know, after his death, and he was the real deal, it was discovered that he was gay, celibate, but gay. And he wrote a book called The Wounded Healer, and every time I read him, and I loved what he wrote, every time I read his stuff, I knew there was a dark place there, a place that was sad, a place that was hard to go. And, uh, and he said the most profound things, maybe... Maybe you got to struggle with big sin to see Jesus. Listen to what he said. I'm deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in the world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. The leaders of the future will be those who dare to claim their irrelevance in the contemporary world and to claim it as their divine vocation. So we read about a revival going on. Later on, we're going to see that believers, thousands were added to the church because of what we're seeing happening in Acts 5. But before you say, God, do it again. Before you say, God, one more time, do it again, you got to read the whole text. And Luke continues with the truth. But the high priests rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, and they put them in prison. Oh, my now, I don't have time to read the whole story to you, but you ought to know the story. The apostles are in prison, mainly Peter and John, and you know who shows up? An angel shows up. 
And an angel's got the key to the prison door and lets him out. And if you had been there, all you would have seen were heels and elbows as they rushed down the street to get out of Jerusalem as fast as they could. And the angel, it's not in the text, but I know this is what happened, said, hey, hey, uh, come back here. I have a message from the king. And he says, you're to go back to the temple and proclaim the word of life. And Peter said, and it's not in the text either, but he's a friend of mine. (laughs) Peter said, let me explain something to you. (laughs) That's why we got arrested in the first place. And you've gone through a lot of trouble to get us out of the prison, to send us back in the prison. And then they prayed all night. And the next morning, they did what the angel said, went back to the temple, preached the word of life, and what you would expect to happen, happened. They were taken back to jail and then brought before the court. And there was a rabbi there, and they admonished them. They said, we told you not to do this, and here you've done it, and you've stirred up all Jerusalem. And then Peter says, we got to obey God and not men. And then they send them out so they can have a, a private confab amongst themselves. And Gamaliel, who's a wonderful man, a member of the Sanhedrin court, who has a wonderful heritage of grace, says, guys, leave them alone. Don't mess with these folks. And especially don't do it in thunderstorms. Because what they're doing might be, if it's not from God, it's going to die. If it is from God, you're not going to be able to stop it. And not only that, you don't want to be found opposing what God is doing in the world. And then turn to the end of the chapter. Let me, let me wrap it up, and then I want to say some things about it as we talk about speaking truth to power. Um, I'm going to start, uh, start at the 41st verse. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Oh, man. Those are gutsy guys. I think I'd have backed off after the first time. I think I would have spoken a little bit more softly. I would have gotten one-on-one with people and whispered the message. But they didn't shilly-shally. They stood up and they spoke their truth to power. As I look at our cultural shift and I read the drivel of the new atheist, They've given microphones to the village idiots. (laughs) Things have changed. People don't like us very much. Just saying Merry Christmas ticks people off. What's going on in this place? We don't know right from wrong anymore. A guy can speak biblical truth and be kicked off television. That kind of gets under my skin. It makes me angry. And I'll bet when I started this, you thought I was going to talk about sex, didn't you? you hear about the preacher who served in a surfing area and nobody would come to church because they were out surfing and he was really angry about it, told his wife he was going to preach on it. 
I'm going to tell them the truth. They need to be in church, not out surfing on those boards. And she said, don't do that. You'll look silly. You'll make a fool out of yourself. And they went to church, and she's yelling at him the whole time. Finally, he says, God told me, and I'm going to do it. And she said, okay, but I'm not going to sit there and watch you make a fool of yourself. I'm going to stay here in the car. You can tell them I'm sick. So as he walks from the parking lot to the church, he thinks, you know, she may be right. So he changed his topic. And he, and he preached a wonderful sermon on Christian sexuality. And after the service, and after the service, a lady in the church came out and saw the pastor's wife sitting and said, oh, honey, you should have been there. It was wonderful. I've never heard a sermon so good. And his wife said, well, I don't know how. He's only done it twice. <laughs> and he fell off both times. <laughs> and I know that when I started this and started talking about Phil Robertson, some of you were saying, you know, he's going he's to speak truth. Well, there is sexual truth. But I'm more concerned about a Christian worldview that is very intolerant. What we believe is so absolute and so narrow that we believe that anything that contradicts it is simply untrue. Now, I don't like that. If I were God, I wouldn't have made it so narrow. I, if I had been Jesus, I wouldn't have said, I am the way, the only way, the truth, the only truth, and the life. The only life. We say, well, that's pretty intolerant. I mean, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. But you don't want to go to a doctor who believes that about medicine. And you certainly don't want to get on an airplane piloted by a pilot who says it doesn't matter what you believe about aeronautical truth. We have to speak our truth. Because, because it's true. When was the last time you saw an angel? I mean, really. Do you know the reason we don't see angels very often? It's because we write our theology in seminary and in church and not in prison. The reason we don't see angels very often is that we're too quiet about the truth that's changed our lives. The reason we don't see angels is because we're not willing to pay the price of being disliked and rejected for the truth that we believe. It's sexual truth. It's right and wrong. It's the moral truth that God, it's the truth about God's grace. It's the truth about the world. It's a meta-narrative that doesn't allow us to play around with it or to change it. We just got to speak it. And so this week, as I was reading this fifth chapter of Acts and thinking about Phil Robertson, and I wish he'd said it different and, and all that and truth, I was thinking, how did they do it in the first century? Robert Weber says we can learn from them because they didn't like them either. So what are some things? I got four points. I'm going to give them to you, then you can sleep. I'm going to talk about the four points for a while. But once you get the four points, you got what I want to say. First, just do it. Okay? 
just do it. And secondly, just do it right. And thirdly, before you do it unto them, do it unto yourself. And then fourthly, once you've done it, just get out of the way. First, just do it. Please note in the text that when Peter was brought before the court and they charged him not to do this, he said, we must obey God rather than men. I used to do a skeptics forum and we invited atheists and agnostics and I was the only Christian allowed to be there. And I'd tell them what the Christian faith said. And I was as clear as I knew how. And I remember a young lady there. She was a teacher in the public school system. And she started crying. And I said, young lady, what are you crying about? She said, oh, God, I wish this were true. She became a Christian over those 11 weeks. And I was with her a couple of months later. And she said, you know the difference? Before, I used to say, I wish this were true. Now I know it's true. And sometimes I wish it weren't. You ever feel that way? You know, it's wonderful to do the kind of worship we've had this evening. I mean, this is warm and good. And to be with brothers and sisters in Christ where we share a common worldview. Pagans don't come out on Wednesday nights. This is God's family, and it's fun to be with us. That's cool, and, and that's good. But when you go out, do you sometimes think, oh, God, I wish this weren't true. St. Teresa said that when you see truth, you can't unsee it. In other words, truth has you by the short hairs. Once you see it, you can't. I remember the day when I knelt down by the desk of a church I was serving in Boston, and I said, God, I'm not good, but I'm going to be yours. And I opened my Bible, and I said, I don't even know what it says. But from now on, this will be my epistological base. This will be my truth, no matter what else. And I can't tell you. How often in those early days I said to God, I don't believe I'd have said that. Or I wish you hadn't said that. This is going to make people angry, and they're already angry at me. And then I remember Grady Wilson lifting up his Bible, Billy Graham's co-worker. Grady was a great evangelist and preacher who gave it up for Mr. Graham. I miss Grady a lot, but Grady would stand in my church pulpit. He'd say something controversial, and then he would say, I didn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Don't be angry at me. God said it. And once God says it, you can't get away from it. You just, I teach students at a seminary, and a lot of them have never preached. They don't like being in front of people. They're scared to death, and so I do a lab class. And I tell them, listen, you've got to psych yourself out. You've got to say before you get in the pulpit, I'm the man. <laughs> I've been commissioned by the God of the universe, by the King of kings to speak to you, and by God you will listen. And the students say, you can't do that. That's not Christian. I said, okay, repent, but don't repent till after you preach. <laughs> But same thing with you. 
You know, you've been given truth. You can't get away from it. So, so for God's sake, just do it. Speak it in every place you get a chance. But you can't stop there. Because if you stop there, you'll end up being arrogant and mean-spirited and condemning. So not don't only do it, but do it right. Please notice. Well, let me, let me read these verses to you. Because look at verses 30 through 32. The, this is the message. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What's the message? It's not a Republican message. I wish it were. It's not a Democrat message. It's not a dispensational message. It's a message that there really is a God. And he really cares for his people. And that I don't care who you are or what you've done or who you're sleeping with or what you're drinking or where you've been or where you're going to go or what you believe, run to him and he'll love you and he won't be angry. That's our truth. I, you know what I really get ticked about when people lie about God? And they do. And I just want to say, I can't tell you the number of times I've been in worship services and conferences and want to just stand up and say, don't say that. That's not true. I did a funeral this past week. I went to Fernandino Beach, Florida. I'd never been there before. That's a cool place. And the lady that we buried was 95 years old and her daughters were friends of mine and I love them a lot. And they called me three weeks before. I don't do many funerals. You know, I'm not a pastor anymore. And, uh, and they said, Steve, would you come? Mother's dying. And uh, so I'd just gotten back into town. I was able to drive up and spend. And she, she had traveled all over the world. She was a Christian who loved Christ and loved her daughters. She had been married, and her husband died 50 years ago, and she raised those daughters as a single mother in a very hard place. She was involved in the International Red Cross Movement, she started a million things. She would meet people in pain and know they were in pain, would hug them and become their friend and make a difference. You know what I said at the funeral? I said, I wish Anne had not done all this. It'd be easier to have a funeral for a drunk. I much prefer having a funeral for somebody where you got a scratch to find something to say that is mildly positive about the person because then you can talk about the gospel. And I said, in ancient cultures, there was a speaker for the dead and I'm a speaker for Anne. So listen to me. She's as screwed up as you are, as sinful as you are. She needed Jesus as much as you do. And don't you confuse the good things she did for the reason she's in heaven. That's not why she's there. She's there because God loved her in the midst of her neediness and her sin. That's the message that we got. It, it really is. And sometimes I want to say, 
I have a, a, another, I spoke at another funeral, said something like that. I mean, they asked me at the last minute to speak. And I sat in the back of the church and they were talking about this guy like he was some kind of God. And I was looking around and people are slinking down in their seats. And, and the wife asked me to speak. She thought I was going to just ditto what everybody else had said. But I knew the man. He gave a lot of money. If you give a lot of money, people think you're wonderful. But I knew his secrets. And I decided I'm going to let him get away with this. And she didn't speak to me until the week before she died because she was so angry at what I said. But I said, I, want, I, love, I love Jack. That's not his name, by the way. A lot, but he's not. But, but this is insane. Some of you are sitting there and thinking, I can't be that good. Of course you can't. He wasn't that good. That's the truth. You got to get the message right. And, when you, and our problem is that our culture is so consuming and our Christian subculture is so consuming that sometimes it's hard to separate what the real message is from the cultural overtones of the message. I smoke a pipe. It's the only sin I've got left. I one time spoke at a large church in Orlando, Northland. Some of you are from Northland. And I said, look, I'm going to talk about my pipe, but don't send me letters. People who are more spiritual than you are have tried to get me to stop, and they weren't successful, and you won't either. And then I talked about smoking a pipe being sort of like heaven. And I said, you know, you're listening to a dull sermon. You think if I can get through this, I can get a smoke. And if it's a faculty meeting, God have mercy on me. Faculty meeting, you have no idea. And I just think, I can't stand this. And I think, but if I can hang on and I can stay here and smile and be civil when it's over, I can go out and smoke my pipe. And heaven's like that. <laughs> and I said, well, they sent me letters. I, I mean, you have no idea. <laughs> But the next time I was at that church, I was standing at the door and guys were putting cigars in my pocket. <laughs> and this is true. They, I don't know why I'm telling you this. <laughs> Do you know what they did? They started a Bible study group called Holy Smokes. <laughs> they really did. And they meet every Tuesday. They do, and it's still going on. Let me tell you, the gospel isn't about smoking. I have a pastor friend who said to his congregation, the, the gospel isn't about your virginity. And a guy got up. I talked to him yesterday. A guy got up in the middle of the service, pointed to his daughter and his two sons and said, we're out of here. And they walked out of the, but it's not. Those scriptures talk about right and wrong. They talk about the truth of the way the world has been created. But the gospel is the main thing and we and we can't confuse that with other things so do it but do it right and secondly do it unto yourself please note that in this text not only did peter say you know you know we must obey god rather than men he said we're witnesses to these things what was he talking about being a witness to? Well, you've got to know Peter. 
three times and the third time with words that would make a sailor blush. Peter denied Jesus and Jesus looked him in the face and you talk about being suicidal, that would do it. You say, well, he got fixed though because Jesus, yeah, he did, except when you read the book of Galatians and you read about his duplicity and his hypocrisy. And Paul said that he was a hypocrite and if Paul said it, it means he was. And why do you think Paul said it is the saying worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the chief of, not I was, I am the chief of sinners. Why, why would God do that? Because that's the message. And the problem with our speaking truth to power, we speak it as fixed people who want to fix other people. I get, I get 4,000 letters a month, and we get piles of questions. One of the questions I get, can a gay person be saved? And I always write back, can a fat person be saved? <laughs> That's a dumb question. And, and the fact that it's asked means that we have drifted away from the truth that God has given us. Of course a gay person, a liar and a thief can be saved people like you and like me. And if we ever forget that when we speak our truths, nobody will listen. We're not fixed people telling other people how they can be fixed. I can't fix myself. His name was David Morris. <laughs> Wrote a book called Beyond Gay, but when I first met him, he was angry at me, and he was the columnist for the National Gay and Lesbian Newsletter. Uh, Uticus. And I said something, kind of like what I've said tonight. I've said, look, I'm not throwing rocks at gay guys. I, I, I just can't change what the Bible says. And I'm as bad as anybody I know, but I just can't change it, so i got to speak it. And he wrote me this angry letter. Now, most of the time when people write me, and I get a lot of them, I write back, you may be right, but you're probably wrong. Sincerely, Steve. <laughs> Drives them nuts, man. <laughs> but I was really serious with him, and I said, look, I want you to know you may be my brother, and I wasn't throwing rocks at you. I'm just sad because you don't get hugged much because you're not facing the fact of what God says about your sin. You don't have a place to run to him and get hugged because you don't think you've sinned. And that's sad. And he's not going to fix it. I got the sweetest. We wrote for over two years. He ended up resigning. Uh, he's now a faithful. Last time I talked to him, I, I said to him off the air, we were, I was interviewing him. I said, do you ever look at a, a lady and get a tingle? He said, of course. Well, he said, yeah but don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> God has done a wonderful thing in him, but that's not going to get him to heaven. That's not the gospel. He knows what God says. The truth is there. It's not any different than what Phil said. We've got to speak our truth, but we've got to speak our truth not as fixed people who will fix them. You got the point? Just do it. Do it nicely if you can. If you can't, make an obscene gesture, but do it. 
do it right, do it to yourself first, and then fourthly, after you've done it, get out of the way. Have you heard that thing when a Bubba says, hold my beer and watch this? Best drop the beer and start running. <laughs> when Jesus says, watch this, watch it. I drove, I came down Commercial Street when I came up this afternoon. And I drove by that little Lutheran church that used to be your church before you got fancy. <laughs> when I first met Jim Kennedy, I came... I came to a, an EE uh, seminar, and uh, that was your church, and you know it was busting at the seams, and it was a good time. I remember during that that uh, training session that uh, that somebody asked Dr. Kennedy. They said to him, "What if people don't believe the Bible when we quote it to them?" And, and I'll never forget. He said, "You know." If a thief breaks into your house and he's opening your safe and you got a 38 and you point it at him and he says, I don't believe in 38s, what do you do? Well, you got to put it up. Because <laughs> if he doesn't believe in guns, they certainly won't work. Our truth is God's truth. It's precious. It's absolutely true. It tells us how to live and how to walk and how to love and who we are and how much God loves us. And we've got to speak it. But we've got to speak it right. And we've got to speak it with authenticity and with love. I'm about finished. I, uh, we, we, our younger daughter is Jennifer, and Jennifer brought, brought every stray into our home. Uh, human and animal. I mean, if she found an animal, she'd bring it home, or a human being that nobody else liked, she brought them home. I was so glad when she went to college because I got my chair and my cookies back. <laughs> and uh, she, but uh, she brought a cat home one time, and, and the cat was pregnant, and then the cat had kittens, and the kittens grew up and had kittens, and I was up to my ears and kittens. Now, I don't like raccoons, but I think they eat cats. <laughs> so, so one time, so one time, uh, she kept, I went to the vet and said, what am I going to do with these cats? And he said, did you feed them? I said, no, my daughter did. And he said, well, they're yours. And I, and I, and I, I could tell you stories, but we put a big pile of cat food out on the a table out on our deck. And the cats, all, there were 18 of them, would come and eat out of that thing. Well, the raccoons found the cat food, and they came too. And one time a big mother of a raccoon and a little baby were making their way across the back of the yard. My daughter comes crying to me, Daddy, the raccoons are coming, and I think they're coming after the cats and the food. And, you know, if you're a father of a daughter, you know they wrap you around their little finger. And so she wanted me to do something, and I was going to do something. So I got out, watched that raccoon coming across our backyard, and I got a hose out with a, with a nozzle that had a strong stream and I turned that nozzle on that sucker about knocked him over and his little one too and they just turned and scampered and ran away and and Jennifer said oh daddy and I felt so good I'd fixed it and we were watching television I heard a noise and I look out that raccoon's back so now I know how to fix it so I get out the hose I turn 
turn it on a raccoon again and about knock him over again. And reluctantly, he turns and leaves the yard. And I figure he'll never come back. It wasn't five minutes that raccoon didn't, came back. And uh, I got the hose out again and turned it on that raccoon and held it there. And the raccoon kept coming. I'm hard, hard to walk like this, but kept coming down the side of the thing, climbed up on the table, uh, looked down at the food, and then, I, this is true, turned to me and went. <laughs> Go ahead. Do your worst. When you finish, I'm eating that stuff. I don't, <laughs> I don't care what you do. <laughs> you know, sometimes... Sometimes we got to be like that. Our culture has changed. And if we'll stand, we thrive in storms. We do okay. But you got to speak it. You think of that raccoon. Think, yell at me. Tell me I'm a fanatic. Tell me I'm a crazy Jesus freak. Tell me I'm stupid. I don't care. When you finish... I'm going to speak it anyway. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. And in case you didn't know, you can connect with Key Life on social media through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.